Good morning again. Y'all gonna have to wake up a lot this morning. Father, thank you for today. We ask your blessing on your word as it comes to us. We pray that we would be open and receptive to it. We thank you so much for the gift of salvation. I would pray that today you would show us how we can spread that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was growing up, uh, my family threw birthday parties on the milestone birthdays. And so I, I remember, uh, I don't remember too much of my family like when I was two or three or anything like that. I remember I got a 16th birthday party, I got a 13th birthday party, and I got a 10th birthday party. So I got those. Lindsay, I guess... Uh, she got a birthday party whenever. I, it might not even have been her birthday and she still got a birthday party. She, she got birthday parties all the time. And so when we got married, when we had kids, we said, okay, well, what are we going to do here? So we compromised and we have a birthday every single time, just like Lindsay wants. And so um, we, we, we have a birthday every single year. Every single year we invite a thousand people to a birthday party for one of our kids and uh, we tell them no gifts and there's always so many gifts. And But... Birthday parties are fun. What's not fun is deciding who to invite to the birthday party. Um, because now there's some of you who this isn't a problem. Uh, some of you, uh, you just frankly don't care. And so you look at the list and you're like, you know what, Grandma didn't give very good gifts this year. She's not coming to the birthday party. You know, that's, that's how cutthroat you are. Me, I worry too much about it. I, I really overthink it because. What I do is, I'm like, okay, um, do these people know what I do? Because I don't want them to, like, never come to church ever again because the pastor didn't invite them to his kid's seventh birthday party. Like, I, I think about stuff like this. Like, are they going to absolutely hate us because we don't... Lindsay just makes a list and she says, this is who we're inviting, and I eventually say, okay. But I, I worry incessantly about this stuff. Um, when we read scripture, we find that there's a party. And the, the, at the end of what we call the end of the world, but it's, it's really the beginning of the world as it should be, there's a party. And we see it here in Revelation 19. This is kind of the theme verse that we're going to verses I want to carry throughout this series. In Revelation 19, starting in verse 6, John says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, he added. Those are the true words of God. And so we see that Jesus is making all things new. We see that this is, if you flip to it in your Bibles, you don't have too many pages left. And so this is kind of the end of our Bible, but it shows the beginning of how things are meant to be from here on. And it kicks off with this, this party of sorts, this wedding banquet. And this wedding is between Jesus and his bride, which is the church. And the church comes in white because it has been made clean by Jesus. 
and we're going to see that this is the celebration, that this is now a relationship with no more borders or barriers and no more sin and no more pain and no more suffering. And this is a perfect relationship that's going to last forever. And so this is a big deal. And this is a party. And so when you write a party invitation, you really put four key things in there, don't you? You put who it's to, you put who it's from, you tell them where it is, and you ask them to RSVP. And so if this is a party, we see that the angel says here that there are people who are invited. We want to take down or take each one of these sections and break it down week by week as we go through this series. And so the question we want to ask today is who is it that this angel is talking about? The angel says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so who are they? Who is this invitation to? Well, Jesus gives us that answer. In Acts chapter 1, you're going to see, we see that uh, Jesus is ascending to heaven. We get two really clear pictures of this. We get one in Matthew, we get one in Acts. Matthew 28, we see that Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I've commanded you. In Acts, it's not two separate accounts where Jesus ascended two different times, it's just a different point of view from this. And so what Luke writes in Acts is this, Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so both of these kind of give the connotation that Jesus is sending people out. Right? We call it the Great Commission because he has commissioned the apostles there to go and tell people. And let's notice, we've got a map here, what exactly Jesus is asking them to do. And so he says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, which is good because this is where they are. They're in Jerusalem. They have been in Jerusalem. They come in with Jesus on Palm Sunday. And they stay through Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus raises from the dead, and they are still in Jerusalem. And we see in Acts that the day of Pentecost, they are in Jerusalem. And so we have here on the map where Jerusalem is. I'm 6'5", I'm in everybody's way. But anyway, that Jerusalem's here, and this is where they're starting. Jerusalem is where they're comfortable, really. It's where they know the best. This is the holy city. This is where they have been for a while now. And so Jesus is telling them, you start where you all ready are. Then he says you're going to go to Judea. And if you see in the map, it's kind of the suburb area of Jerusalem. It's the area around Jerusalem. But this, even though it's a little farther away, it's not really outside their comfort zone because this is Jewish territory. This is where Jews live. And so you wouldn't go in, like you were going in a foreign country. You would go talk to people with the same background that you have. And so he said, after you get through with Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea, and you're going to go and spread the message of who I am here. And then Jesus says, Samaria. Now, if we're looking at a map, as we are, we notice that this is a logical next step as far as geography is concerned, but it is not a logical next step as far as theology is concerned. Because if there were two sides of the aisle, the Jews would be on one, and the Samaritans would be on the other. Jews saw Samaritans as kind of half-bloods. They, they saw them as, as less than they were. They were Jews were up on a pedestal and Samaritans were kind of on the bottom. They would basically call them their enemies. That's why we read over the Good Samaritans so often that we 
kind of lose the fact that when Jesus says this for the first time, it's, it's absolutely earth-shattering because the hero of the story is the enemy of the Jews. And we just kind of gloss over that, but it's a huge deal. It's also a huge deal when you see Jesus go talk to the woman in the well because this is, this is her reality. And so we get the sense of Jesus is kind of turning the world upside down for his hearers because for so long they've been told that the Jewish way is the only way and now that Jesus has shown them something new, he's telling them that it's for everyone. And so he's saying, you're going to have to go to this place that makes you uncomfortable, that they probably aren't going to welcome you there because they know how you used to feel about them. And, you know and then Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the world. So we have a map here of the, the Roman Empire at the time in the New Testament. And what we see is that this is actually what happens. The Jews start, or the, the Christians start in Jerusalem. Then they start spreading to Judea, and this persecution starts breaking out. They start to spread, and they go to Samaria. And by the end of the, the New Testament, we see that when Paul writes a church, it's not necessarily a church that's right next to Israel. It's not in this area. You see that he's talking to churches all over this, and there's even the church in the book of Romans way up there in Italy, the heart of the Roman Empire. And so we see that Jesus is not just uh, listing off names. This is the progressive, or the, the steps that they progress as they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus wanted to let them know something very important. When you're called to go to the ends of the world, and you don't have Google Maps, you don't really know where that is. And that means you've got to keep going. He's basically telling them, your witnessing is never done. You're never to become complacent. Everywhere you go, you're supposed to tell people about it. And so this is what he tells his early disciples. The question then is, is what is he telling us? Who is he telling us is invited that we need to invite to this, this wedding feast that we see in Revelation? Well, just like the people of his time, your Jerusalem is invited. Now, your Jerusalem is where you already are. It's where you already are. It's, you don't have to go out of your way to go to your Jerusalem because it's where you are. It's where you make a living. It's your home. It's, it's your close-knit group of friends. And I know that there's some of you out there who say, yeah, okay, that's fine. Because you know that your, your spouse, your children, you know that uh, your close group of friends, they're all Christians, and so you know that they've already accepted this invitation and they're looking forward to this just like you're looking forward to this. But I think the reality is that we, we have a lot of people who, when they sit down at the dinner table across from their spouse, this isn't the reality. The reality is that they haven't accepted this invitation. Well, the reality is, maybe not today since it was snowing, people got to pass, but it's, it's really hard to get the kids to come to church. And the kids don't want to be drunk somewhere. They say they want to start thinking for themselves and figuring things out on their own. And it's hard to, because maybe our friends grew, grew up with each other, but you know that they don't really go to church that often, or they're not really that religious, and it's kind of this unspoken thing that you just don't bring up religion in the conversation. So the reality for us is that the Jerusalem, even though it's closest to us, may still be a challenge. I mean, the red flags for us, at least, is that we look at it and we say, I don't, 
I know what's going to happen if I bring this up. You can maybe think back at some of the biggest fights that you and your spouse or you and your kids have, and it's over the fact that they don't go to church, or that their behavior is not what you think it should be. And you remember how hard that is, and you just kind of got over that. You don't really want to go back out on that limb and say, hey, you want to talk about this, because you kind of know where it goes, and you don't want to be seen as that person who's the buzzkill in your friend group who's going to bring Jesus with them, and so you're kind of afraid to invite your Jerusalem. Jesus says to invite Judea. It's for us, it's not those who are closest to us, but it's basically where we go. It's still within our comfort zones. I see our Judea as the community groups that we're a part of, or distant family, or uh, just the community in general. Kids, this is where you go to school at. These are people that they're, they're not in your home, they're not necessarily in your closest circle, but you're still around them. Jesus tells the disciples, you've got to go to Judea. And they've got this history, they kind of know that you're looking for the Messiah, and so this might be a way for you to start telling them about it, but our Judea might be a little bit different. Our Judea is, is our kids' sports teams and the families that are involved in that or the classes that we go to or the reading <laughs> once a year. And really, we just don't. Our red flags or our, our holdups, we we're worried that if we go out on that limb, that we're going to be rejected. We're worried that we're going to put ourselves out there and there's not going to be a safety net. We're going to fall flat on our face and we're going to lose these people's relationship. Maybe we're just afraid of our reputation. We don't want to be known as that Bible thumper who comes in and has a verse for everything. We don't want to be seen as someone who thinks that they're better than everyone else because they're going somewhere that no one else is going. And so instead of inviting these people, we kind of keep it to ourselves. Jesus says to go to Samaria. And I don't think I need to tell you that if it was the enemy for the Jews, that means that we have to go to our enemies too. And I don't think I need to tell you the red flags on that because they're our enemies. And that's enough of one. But we have a hard time sometimes realizing that someone who really, really hurt us, or really hurt our family, or someone who is against our religion or someone who has made mistake after mistake after mistake we're supposed to talk to. Every time we see this person, even from a distance, our blood starts to boil and so we can't even imagine having a conversation with them. And so the red flags are that we maybe we don't really want them to be there. I mean, there's a reason that they're not in our life now, and when we see the fact that we're going to have to live with people forever, we're not entirely sure we want that person forever with us. And so we try to keep it to ourselves. We get held back, and we don't do what we ought to do. Jesus answers the question, and I'm sure you guys have figured it out by now, who we are supposed to invite. He says, sure to go to the ends of the earth. And that means that everyone's invited. That means everyone's invited. Whether they're close to you, around you, against you, or you don't know them, they're, they're invited. So we've listed all the things that hold us back, and some of those things are really, really hard for us to get over. And so the question is, how do we have this proper motivation to do this? 
2 Corinthians 5 gives us a clue on this. Paul says, So from now on we regard no one, excuse me, from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul said we used to have this idea of the Messiah. And the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up this earthly kingdom. He was going to kick Rome out and establish this earthly kingdom. And this kingdom would last forever. And because we were Jews, we were going to be saved from all of this. And we were going to celebrate. And we would have life and life to the fullest. And we wouldn't have any worries ever, ever again. This is our reality. And he said, and then Jesus shows up and teaches us that it's not exactly the way it's going. Yes, we see here in Revelation that eventually he makes a new heaven and a new earth. And so this reign is going to be an earthly reign as well as a heavenly reign. But Jesus comes to usher in a new kingdom, a kingdom that is God's kingdom. And he says, you know, we used to think this way about Jesus, but now that Jesus has opened our eyes, we kind of see things a little bit differently. We're able to see the way God has worked throughout history and we see that God's going to do. And so we have this big picture now that we used to not have. And he said, because we don't see Jesus like, or the Messiah like we used to because we've seen Jesus, we have to understand that we can't, we can't regard other people from just this merely worldly point of view anymore. If we know that there's something beyond this world, and we do because of Jesus, then we don't have, we don't have the luxury of just simply doing what the world does. And so the question is, what does the world do? What the world does is that it gets a group of people together and draws a boundary around them and it labels them. And it groups them into a label or a stereotype. The world has influenced the church through the fact that a lot of times Christians, instead of getting to know someone, will look at someone's sin and label them with their, their sin. And so they're just that type of person. I don't think you need an example to just turn on the news. Everyone is going to talk about everyone in that other group, in that other area. They don't talk about individuals, they talk about these clumps. But the realization that you and I need to make this morning is if we're not supposed to see people from a worldly point of view, that means we have to see them from a godly point of view. And we have to realize that God doesn't see labels. And God doesn't see stereotypes. And no, God doesn't even see and label you your sin. God sees you. Which means that God sees everyone individually. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the world is a big generality, perhaps. It's a, but it doesn't mean that it's just this blanket statement. It means that when Jesus went to the cross, he thought it was worth it for you and for me. And he thought it was worth it. Even if there were people who would never come to accept him, he at least wanted to give them a chance to know God because that's what they were created for. And so the truth of the matter is this morning, we've got to start seeing people as God sees them. Which means we need to start inviting them. Because God created them to be at this part. God created them with the capacity for a relationship with Him forever. 
which means we have to take that message to them. You see, chances are when you sit down and you write an invitation, probably not going to invite an entire group of people. You're not just going to throw a label or a stereotype or something else on there. But you know what you might do? You might invite a Mike. And you might invite a Deborah. And you might invite a Rashad. And you might invite a Lewis. You might invite someone whose name you know because then you realize that they're an individual. And then you realize that that's how God sees them too. That God sees each and every one of us as someone that He carefully and wonderfully created for a relationship with Him. That means that those people in your Jerusalem, they were created for God and they needed invitation. Those people in your Judea, they were created by God and they need an invitation. Those people in your Samaria, even though they have maybe wrecked your life. They are created by God and they need invitation. That means everyone that you see, every pair of eyes that you see, are pairs of eyes that are created by God because that's someone who's created by Him to be invited to life with Him forever. And so this morning, the challenge that all of us have is to have this realization that everyone is invited to this party that God's throwing. So make sure that they know you're welcome. Make sure that they know that they're invited. Make sure that they know that they're loved. And if you want a practical way to do this this week, for one week, I mean ideally for the rest of your life, but let's just start one week, don't use a label to describe somebody. Don't use a generalization to describe a group of people. Whether it's on Facebook or in your mind or in conversation. And just start to try to see people as individuals created in the image of God. Just try it. Because we don't see people from a worldly point of view anymore. We see them through the lens God. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't take this opportunity to invite you 